Good morning, church. Welcome. Glad you're here today. My name is Greg Paris. We were talking about some of the struggles that are part of our lives today, which are unintended consequences of social media. But these struggles are not just related exclusively to social media. They are generalized struggles that we find. Last week, we talked about the subject of contentment. And let me just summarize The message was basically this, the more we compare ourselves with others, the less contentment we tend to experience, the more envy and discontent seems to be generated in our lives. And someone right after the the 10 o'clock service this morning said to me, anytime I go on Facebook, I feel depressed. And it's because of that that comparison and the unfair advantage that people projecting an image on social media have to those of us who are reading it. And today I want to talk about intimacy and relationships, which is another great challenge, a struggle, if you will, that is cultivated by today's technological age and social media. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 13. I'm going to read two verses there. These are the words of Jesus, and I hope it'll be meaningful and encouraging to you. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so thanks for doing that as you're able to do so. Jesus is with the disciples, and he adds these important words. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Any questions? All right, you're dismissed. You got it? You're good to go. Or can... Maybe just hang around for another few minutes. That'll be great. Thanks, thanks so much. You may be seated. Now, Jesus has just concluded this ritual with the disciples, which you'll remember, when he washed their feet. Took this basin of water and a towel, which was the, the customary tools of the lowest servant in the house. The people with the least amount of status in the home would be tasked with the job of washing feet. People moved about uh, on foot, and so they would arrive at a home, and their feet would be dirty, and so it was hospitality on display when you washed uh, people who visited your home. And so Jesus now stoops down, and he's washing the disciples' feet. This is, if you can just put it into that context, this is shocking for these guys. This is, this is uh, amazing to them. Peter actually resisted. You'll, you'll recall that Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. It's too much. You, you are Jesus. You are the rabbi. You're the leader. You are, no, you're not going to wash it. You're not going to wash my feet. I'm not going to have that. And Jesus said to Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you have no part in me. You have no place in my movement. Peter said, oh, well, then wash all of me. <laughs> and Jesus now, he, he's got the disciples' attention. You can imagine, whatever he says after this act of love, of washing their feet, this lowly servant-like act, whatever he says next is going to stick with these guys. And this is what he says, a new command I give you, love one another. And as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, what he didn't say is, 
Everyone will know you're my disciples if you get your theology perfect. He didn't say that. Now, that's, that's uh, not to say that good theology isn't important because good theology is very important. It's essentially important. It's very, very significant. But that's not what he said would be the marker of people recognizing followers of Jesus. He didn't say, uh, you know, you show up at church every time the doors are open. Although we know that gathering together is meaningful, it adds value, it is important, it is, it is life-giving, and we see significance and power in gathering together. It's, it's a really good idea. It's a good thing. But that's not the marker that will identify us as followers of Jesus. He didn't say, put a Christian bumper sticker on your car. Didn't say that. In fact, let me just say, I've seen some of you drive. The last thing you want to do is put a Christian bumper sticker on your car. I wouldn't put one on my car, for example. I wouldn't be caught dead with a Christian bumper sticker on my car. It's not because I got anything against Christian. It's just that I don't want to be associated uh, with my driving in Jesus. That's not, this is not what I would want. So I wouldn't if I were you. The big question today is how is technology changing relationships? Well, there are a few issues that are emerging. And if you're following the outline, you'll see those on the outline. The first is that the term friend is evolving. You know, it used to be that a friend was somebody you did life with. You hung out with them, you met with them on a regular basis, and you shared life. Now, a friend can be somebody that you've never met in person who follows you on Facebook as a friend, quote, friend. Um, here's, here's some amazing statistics. Check this out. The American Facebook user has 328 Facebook friends, 328. But the average American says that they only have two close friends. Now, contrast that 328 Facebook friends with two actual close friends. Follow that. That's down from six close friends just 20 years ago that Americans would say, they have. Listen to this statistic. 25% of Americans say they have zero close friends. 25% have zero close friends. Now, you, can you feel the tension in that? It's real. You, you may have 328 Facebook friends, but say you've got no real and close friends. So we have lots of online interactivity, connectivity, and a very limited personal intimacy. So the term friend is evolving. Here's another thing that we can observe, and that is we're becoming addicted to immediate affirmation. Take a selfie, upload an Instagram, you wait a few minutes, and you look for some response. People start responding, of course. Hey, you look good, you know, handsome picture, or I like that shirt, where'd you get it? Or hey, rocking a new hairstyle, or whatever my, I, I don't get that one, but... But folks are expecting something immediate. And it's something that we expect and we anticipate. And it actually has a chemical effect on us. Uh, scientists tell us that our brain releases dopamine, uh, that chemical, and it's a pleasure chemical. And it, and it is uh, an addictive kind of experience. And this is, why, this is why people sit with their phones all the time. They're never without it because a text might come up, an Instagram might come up, 
Something, something might flash, and you don't want to miss anything. You want to respond to it. And if you send a picture or a thought or a little statement out, you expect some response. You need immediate feedback from that because it, it gives you pleasure. And so people say, what did, what did they say? Did they like it? Who liked it? How many people liked it? Why didn't she like it? She never likes my pictures. I'm not going to like her pictures anymore. And so it's just back and forth like this. And so what it's doing is meeting a short-term need, but we are deferring a longer and deeper need. Scientists have actually coined a new phrase. Listen to this. Deferred loneliness. Deferred loneliness. In other words, we put off what we really need. Instead, we substitute it with short-term stimulation. So we get immediate feedback and that meets the short-term need, but we are deferring for that long-term intimacy, which all of us really need and actually long for. So we're living for likes and yet longing for love. We, we're hooked on this instant gratification and it's changing the way we do relationships. Now here's a third observation that we can make and that is we have the power to do friendship on our own terms. You know, Richard shoots me uh, shoots me a text. Now, I have a, I have a choice. I can respond to it. I can not respond to it. I can wait till later to respond to it. I'm in control. I'm in control of the relationship. And that's an important thing. If Sam posts a picture on Instagram, I can either tap my finger and like it, or I can ignore it, or I can scroll through the other stupid pictures he sent me of his moped again. You know, why does he like his moped so much? And, so, and you're just going, it's mind-numbing. But I have control over the, the, the friendship. I have complete control over the relationship because of the technology. One young leader recently said, the more I use social media, the more I crave personal interaction. The more I use it, the more I crave personal interaction. And let me just say that the people who are the, the youngest in in the listening audience today, in the room and online, the younger you are, the more relevant what I'm saying is to you. The older you are, the people who are 50 years old and older listening to the sound of my voice have no idea what I'm talking about. Very little reference point to this. If you're 60 years old and older and say, people are saying they have zero friends, what they're thinking is, I'm gonna call five of my best friends this afternoon and see if they have the same experience. <laughs> Because they've, in life, they've cultivated these kinds of relationships. They, they haven't, we haven't, my generation hasn't been tripped up by the constant stimulation provided by social media. We, we weren't raised with it. We haven't experienced it for most of our lives. You know, it's a relatively new technology. Smartphones are only about 11 years old. 11 years old, that's like that. That's nothing. Well, it's half of my life. I know. Another person said, I feel more connected than ever before, and yet I feel more alone. This is, this is a phenomenon. This is what's happening. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. I'll put this on the screen. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another as the day draws near. So some of us need to rediscover the power of practicing presence, of being together with other people. Jesus said, "Where two or more gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And wouldn't you agree 
that gathering together, actually being in person, in the same room, has enormous value and benefit. I mean, there's something about it. Jesus said, where two or more people are gathered, I will be there with them. And Jesus always fulfills that promise. He's here. That's why we sense God's presence when we gather. And isn't it a wonderful thing? It's a wonder when we open up the scripture and read the Bible and we know that God is speaking to us. This is the word of God for the people of God. And it's, and it's on one hand, mysterious, and on the other hand, wonderful and meaningful and substantial. It matters. There's, there's power when we're together. And so Jesus encourages this by reminding us that if you gather in my name to do these kinds of activities, I'll be there. I'll show up with you. So, so this is a great thing. Now, you might push back and say, well, can you experience God's presence when you're alone by yourself? Of course. Of course you can. But there's something unique about the corporate experience of worship and prayer and hearing God's word. And so, and, and so that's why we're encouraged to do it. There's something that happens when we collectively worship. Now, th think about it this way. God, God didn't just declare to us his intentions to redeem us and reclaim us from our sins. He didn't just shout from heaven and say, all right, there's a new deal. Here's a, here's a new offer. Here's an invitation. You can ask for forgiveness. Your sins will be forgiven. Our relationship will be restored and you can have hope for an eternal life. And all you got to do is ask for it. Now, God could have done that, but that's not what he chose to do. He didn't send us a text. He didn't send, he didn't send us an Instagram. Here's what God did. He actually sent his only begotten son to the earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The only son he has, he sent to the earth as a missionary. And not in some spiritual sense or, or, or some philosophical sense. He actually sent his son, put him in an earth suit. And there he is. He hung out with us. He ate with us. He, he loved us. He, he reached out to people on the margins, the tax collectors and the, and the prostitutes and the, and the sinners of all sorts and varieties. And he actually extended his love and grace. The, understand this. This is the pre-existent, co-eternal word of God who became a person in order to reveal the love and plan of God to us. This is called the incarnation. This is why we celebrate Christmas every year because he is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He's with us. Didn't send us a message, didn't shout it out, didn't, didn't send a garbled note. He sent his own son so that we might be restored in relationship with him. Come on now. That's a powerful statement and so meaningful. I mean, it's changed the world. The world is now different. The world is upside down because of this amazing grace that God has extended to us in a personal way, in a personal way. So, so let's just say two things about how do we respond if we find ourselves lonely, find ourselves isolated, find ourselves uh, hoping to connect in more significant ways with one another, so, uh, and, and to push back and to resolve some of the unintended consequences of social media that oftentimes leaves us lonely and out of meaningful contact.
Here's two thoughts. If you're taking notes, they're on your outline. Number one, be present. Be present. Today's social media culture, the vow might be, I will love people face to face. I will love people face to face rather than thumb to thumb. I'm going to make an effort to connect with people in the flesh, face to face. Look at Romans 12. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. As I say, there's something powerful about presence. Now, you have experienced this. Maybe you have extended this kind of love. I hope you have. But people, when they are in the in, in the, the worst place, the worst state, the saddest times, when they're really hurting, there's, there's an okay, acceptable way to reach out to them. You can send them a text or an email. There's a better way to do it. You can, you can actually call them. Uh, those of you who are young in the room and watching online, this, this is not only a, a, a social media device, it's actually a telephone. <laughs> and you can use it, you can dial people up. And they'll, and they'll answer it, and they will, you'll hear their voice, their actual voice. And sometimes you can see their face. And it's very effective that way. You can call them. That's better. Call them. You can hear their voice. You can hear the intonation in their, in their voice, the, the intentionality behind their words. You can feel the emotion of it. But the best way is to actually pick up your body and take it to where their body is and face-to-face -face and personally interact with you. Maybe this is, this is an experience you've had. When Beth was first diagnosed with cancer 35 years ago, her prognosis was really, it was poor. Her pathology was bad. And we went for surgery one day, and we started early in the morning, and it went all day long. And I was leaving the hospital that night. I had to get back out to the, to the house where Friends were kindly watching our two boys who were grade school age at the time. And when I drove by the church at 9.30 that night, after dark, after a day like that, I saw about 20 cars in the parking lot of our church and the lights were on inside. And I knew exactly what that meant. It meant that there were people who had physically brought themselves to the church to gather together to pray for us, to pray for Beth. I will never forget that. Never forget it. About a week after that, Beth was home from the hospital and recuperating, waiting for the next stages of treatment. And the district superintendent, who is my direct report, the guy that I answer to in our system, our district superintendent, his name was Charlie Cook at the time. Charlie's in heaven now. Charlie came to our house one evening and just came in and spent some time with us just to care for us. No agenda, no orders, no business, just to say, I'm sorry you're going through this. Let me pray with you. You know, it's one thing to pray for someone. It's another thing to pray with someone. It's just another level. And that's what Romans 12 suggests. I don't know what it is, but I do know that God is a relational God. He is. And he created us to love him and to love one another. 
And we can love each other from a distance with technology, but we can do so much more if we love each other face to face. I hope you can hear that. This past Thursday, Beth and I drove to South Bend, Indiana, and the reason we did that, it was to visit our dearest friends in the world, Reverend Dr. Mark Beeson and his wife, Sheila, are living in that part of the country. The Beesons and the Parises have vacationed together for 37 consecutive summers. When our kids were little, we vacationed with them, and as they moved out of the house, it was just the four of us, and for 37 consecutive years, Mark and I have met face-to-face on a regular basis. Our churches were three hours apart for most of those years. We would meet in the middle, and we would do this on a regular basis, and we have just done life and ministry together. About a year ago uh, in November, Mark was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And because of that, he had to resign his church and resign from ministry. And now for this past year, he's been battling this disease. And in the last couple of weeks, uh, the decision has been made that he will no longer seek treatment for the disease. And so he's at that stage. And so we went up to be with them. And we sat with them for about four hours. And we reminisced and we still told stories and we laughed and we cried and we prayed and we thanked God. We connected face to face. Let me tell you something about Mark. I had the privilege of preaching at Asbury Theological Seminary this past week on Tuesday in their chapel And I used that opportunity to brag on my friend Mark a little bit. I want to brag on him a little bit more today. Uh, Mark planted a church with his wife, Sheila, in 1986, Granger Community Church in South Bend, suburb of South Bend. And, of course, he started this church the first week. He had less than 10 people who showed up at the church. And from there, Granger Community Church began to grow Mark's last Sunday, about a year ago, in the pulpit at Granger, they had over 5,000 people in attendance in their weekend services. And Mark and his ministry there have also kept track of all the baptisms they've conducted over the years. So in the 33 years from 1986 to last year, when Mark retired, the number of adults that Granger Community Church baptized under Mark's leadership was 7,641. 7,641. For all of you, yeah, that's the right thing to do. That's amazing. That's remarkable. And for all of you aspiring, ambitious, young, potential Christian leaders here in the room or within the sound of my voice, there's a goal for you. Shoot for that one. Set that one out in front of you. All right, you got 33 years to baptize 7,600 people. Ready? Go. Go. Give it your best shot. See how that works out for you. Isn't that that amazing? So proud proud of Mark and his work. I told him on Thursday that probably the reason that God's going to let me live a little bit longer than him is so I might have a chance to catch up. Really. I just got to keep pedaling, catch up. Amazing, amazing, remarkable life. And such a meaningful connection. Both of our sons have observed my relationship with Mark over the years, and both of them 
are envious of the friendship that we have. And our son Isaac, uh, after Mark's diagnosis, said out loud again, I wish I had a relationship like that. How, how can I have a relationship like that? And he was asking me, what do, I, what do you do? Well, you pray for that. God, give me a friend. God, give me a, a, a handful of friends, real friends. Pray for that. And then practically be that friend. You want a friend? Then be a friend. I want a friend like that. Well, be a friend like that. Reach out to people. Don't, and, and don't be afraid if, if, you, if you reach out to someone and you want to be a close friend with them and they say, can't do it. Don't let that dissuade you. Don't let that dissuade you because God has a friend for everyone. This is the way he's wired us. So don't settle. Don't settle for some kind of screen time. Get involved in people's lives. Well, I've tried that. I've tried that and, and frankly, it's, it doesn't work out very well for me. You know, I, people, people sometimes, you know, they, they don't like me or they reject me or I end up getting hurt. So I'm not sure it's worth it. Listen to me. It's worth it. Is it messy? Well, yeah, it's messy. Is there going to be disappointment in it? Yes. That's welcome to the planet. Here we are. I mean, these are people we're talking about. Not talking about perfect angels. We're talking about folks with stinky feet. God wants us to befriend them. Get close to them. You know, and sometimes they will hurt you or wound you or say something or do something that disappoints you. But listen, life in isolation, life without meaningful connection, life without these kinds of relationships is a life that God never designed us to have. He wants us to be in these meaningful reference points. And so I want you to be encouraged by that. Uh, at the end of your life, really, it's not going to matter how many likes you've got. But it's all going to be about how you showed the love of God to other people and how you allowed the love of God through other people be shown to you, followers of Jesus. Yeah. And let me just say something to parents in today's technological world. Your children are begging for attention. They're begging for attention. Lots of families at home right now online. Your children are acting out in all sorts of ways because you are busy with your nose in a screen. People hold their screen like this all the time. Why do they do it? Because we don't want to miss anything. Something like, somebody might say something. Somebody might... Communicate something. I don't want to miss it. What have I missed? What have I missed? Hey, how about the person in the room with you? You're missing them. How many times have you been in a meeting when, when you, when it's an important meeting. It's like a fellowship circle or a small group. People actually call me. This has happened to me. I know you're busy. I know it's hard to, you know, get in to see you. I understand that. You know, lots of people want to talk to you, but please, I, I need to talk to you. Okay, come on in. And literally, I've had this happen. People will come in and sit in my office and go like this. Don't do that. You won't get a good response from me. I am not like Jesus. <laughs> if you're expecting some kind of Jesus response to that, I am a long way from being like Jesus. I am not fully formed. I, my, the paint is still wet. I, I'm, I'm still in process. So don't come, don't ask me for my attention and then 
go like that, it will not end well for you. You've been in a small group. People have done this. Been at the dinner table with your family. Folks are going like this. Some of you, couples, you're married. You've been in the bed together, maybe in physical contact with one another. You're both on your phones. One of you, you've done this. You've actually thought, I'm going to text my wife. Are you in the mood tonight? Question mark. Send the text. She gets it. Text back, hashtag headache, and you're done. So disappointing. She's right there. Try something else besides a text. Unbelievable. So we've got we to work on this. We've got we to get some balance. We've got to get pr- some perspective. We've got we've, we've to understand what's really important. Um, you may miss out on what someone says on a text, but what you should really be afraid of is missing out on the needs of the people who are closest to you. I don't know how this might apply, but maybe it's time for some rules, maybe some new boundaries. You know, last week I said, all right, let's take, here's my challenge, take a 24-hour hiatus from social media. All weekend, people's body language actually shifted. People moved in their chairs, other people folded their arms, one person laughed out loud, ha, like fat chance, going to go off social media for 24 hours. How about try it? How about this with your phone? Phone goes down at 10 o'clock at night. You plug it in, you turn it face down. You put it in a different room than your bed. Phone goes in a docking station during dinner time. Face down, nobody picks it up. You go to your small group, your, your fellowship circle, phone goes off, goes face down. Get it quiet, put it in your pocket. Or don't even take it with you. How about that? Listen to me, if you're... If, 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 you're, uh, if you're more interested in what's going on with your phone than you are interested in the people in your immediate presence, then you're missing, missing the point. I guess I've said that a thousand different ways now, haven't I? 1 John 3, 18, look at the screen with me. Dear children, let not merely, let us say we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. So we don't just pray for them, we pray with them. We don't just like what they post, we like who they are. We get involved in their lives. We don't just like something, we do something to interact with people. And I think this was one of the, one of the great secrets of the early church. I think this was it. I, I, th- I think that the church grew. You know, you read the book of Acts and you see thousands of people coming to faith. Thousands of people coming to, the, to faith in Jesus Christ by the preaching of the apostles. Well, my hunch is, friends, that not all of that all of that response to the preaching of the gospel was because it was easy for people to believe that some contemporary guy that Rome crucified got up alive on the third day. You know, that's, that's a big ask. Oh, yeah, a dead guy was dead for three days, and then he rose from the dead. That's not an easy one to comprehend. So, so to, to suggest that everybody's just all bought in to the notion of the resurrection of Jesus right away, I don't think, that's, I don't think that explains it. Or the other teachings of the, of the early Christian church, th- th- these were completely new concepts. This was a new covenant. This was a, this was a new worldview. This wasn't easy to get your mind and your heart around. 
I think one of the key components was that the quality of the life of those early believers in the first century was so careful, so good, so authentic, so loving that it provoked the people around them in their culture, their society, provoked them to jealousy by the quality of the life they were living with each other. And, and they noticed that. The Bible says that if anyone in the, in the community of faith had need, that the other members of the community of faith made sure that need was met. Nobody went without. Everybody, everybody's needs were met. This is authentic and practical expressions of love and connection. And so I think that when the world who were confronted with the hope of the gospel, they saw in the lives, the actual tangible practice of love and connection that the New Testament church had, that it actually moved them that way. I don't know what it is about you folks, but I want it. Whatever it is you have, I want that in my life. And I think the same, the same thing could happen in today's culture, that we could provoke the world to jealousy by the quality of our connections and the way we love each other. Come on, that's a, there's, there's an amen in the sermon. And, and we ought to think about this. So this leads, leads me to the second thing, not only to be present, but to be engaged. To be engaged. This is, this is, the, this is the practice of being authentically present anytime you're with another person. Authentically present. This is when you treat every person in the room like they're the most important person in the room. This is not easy to do, especially with the obvious distractions that social media provides, that technology provides. But I want to challenge you to think about that. This is something that a mentor of mine said to me decades ago. One of the great challenges... He, he said it this way, walk slowly through a crowd. Move slowly when there are other people around. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, you know, I, get, I get so focused on what I'm doing, where I'm going, the mission, that I lose track of the immediate. That's, that's a challenge for me. So maybe that's a challenge for you. So here... Hear the, the wisdom. Slow down. Notice the people around you. Don't miss an opportunity to meaningfully connect with people who are, who are the closest to you. Be engaged. Be engaged. Well, you can live your life longing for likes. You can be a slave to the screen. You can do that if you want to, and lots of people are. Or you can long for more love. Be a genuine lover of people. And you can leverage technology, and we'll continue to do that. We do and we will. But we'll not let it replace the intimacy and the power of face-to-face -face relationships. And that's my admonition to you. If you want intimacy, we've got to work at it and overcome the challenges created by the technology of our social world. Amen? Let's pause and pray about this. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us, that the, that the world might even know that we are disciples of Jesus by the way we love each other. And if we're honest, Lord, we can recognize that this is an issue. So we pray today that you would help us manage social media. I want you to be really honest about that. Maybe your prayer is, Lord, I want, I want help with this.
please help me. Lord, I, I just never want my life to be so empty that I'm sucked into things that never really fill it. I want my life to be full of what matters. So give us wisdom to know the difference. I pray especially for those who are, who are within the sound of my voice who, who lack a true, genuine, spirit-filled community. I pray right now that you would nudge their hearts to take a step and say, look, no more. I, I believe that life is better together. I need others in a community where we truly open up and show our love to one another. And we'll be known by the way we show that love. So Lord, as followers of Jesus, I pray that we would be moved to be engaged in the lives of people. Deeply engaged. And that the world would look on and say, wow, wow, those must be some of those Jesus people. Look at the way they love each other. I wonder if there's anyone within the sound of my voice today and you wonder why you've been drawn into things that really don't matter. The reality is uh, that we're all looking for something. You are, I am, we all are. We're looking for something. And we've got this void in our lives. We say, well, maybe more of this will satisfy or maybe more of that will fill this emptiness. The problem, the problem is that we can have more and more and more and you can have an unlimited amount of stuff, but it will never actually fill the void. And I can tell you why. It's because you were created by God, not for that stuff, not for a something second best, but you were created by God for God to have a meaningful relationship with him. And there's really great news. He's made that possible through his son, Jesus Christ. And you can know him and begin a deep and meaningful and intimate relationship with him that'll change you forever. You can do it with a simple prayer. Take the first step with a simple prayer. Lord, forgive me of my sins, of everything I've done wrong. I admit I'm empty. I've been seeking and searching and trying this and that. And I'm just ready. I'm ready to say yes to your invitation to know you through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. Fill the void. Fill that empty place. My loneliness, my isolation, my despair, my, my lack of purpose and meaning, fill the, fill the space, fill that void, fill that, fill that longing. Meet that need, I pray. And I want to live for you and serve you, meaningfully connected to you and to others. In Jesus' name. Now, if that's something you can say amen to, say amen. Amen. Would you stand with us?